If you would now please turn in your Bibles, if you're able, to Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3, we will be reading verses 20 through 30. Mark chapter 3, 20 through 30. Hear, for this is the word of the Lord. Then he, that is Jesus, went home, and the crowd gathered together again, so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, He is out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebul, and by the prince of demons he cast out the demons. And he called them to him and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man, and whatever blasphemies they utter, But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying, he has an unclean spirit. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I'm sure we've all been misunderstood before. Sometimes what we mean for good, others interpret as evil. As a Christian living in a fallen world with other sinners who have called good evil and evil good, this can easily happen. We can easily be misunderstood and I'm sure we've all experienced the pain of being misunderstood. But there is another level of misunderstanding that can cause much more grief. And it's at the level of spiritual truth. And it involves a heart that has turned away from God. There have been those who have said that doctrine, teaching, and learning the truths of God are not all that important. They say, as long as you have, quote-unquote, faith, as if faith can be separated from knowledge. This way of thinking has led many people to leave the faith and join other faiths, thinking that they will be okay, because to them, it doesn't matter what you believe, it only matters what you do. So in other words, you can reject Jesus Christ and what He has done, And still look forward to a life of bliss in a better place one day. And all you have to do in this life is be kind to everyone. And karma 
will see you through. My friends, that is a lie from the pit of hell. It does matter what you believe. Because what you believe is the source of what you do. If you believe lies, it doesn't matter what you do. Because the source of what you do is Satan. Since he is the father of lies. See, when we consider someone's soul, misunderstanding can have eternal effects. And Jesus knew this. That is why teaching was an important element to his ministry. Souls depend on sound teaching. Sound teaching was what the crowds in his day were missing. And our eternity depends on sound teaching. This is why knowledge and doctrine are of utmost importance. Because what you believe about Jesus and who you put your trust in has eternal effects. Here there is a misunderstanding. But it is a misunderstanding fueled by a hard heart toward Jesus. And Jesus tells them where it may lead them if they continue to go in that direction. They were crossing a line that many people cross every day. In fact, the vast majority of people we know cross this line every day. And the vast majority of people believe that they will be okay with God despite what they believe about Jesus and what He has done. They are relying on themselves and what they have learned by experience. Because these days, experience has sole authority. But experience will eventually lead to a dead end because they haven't received what God has said. Have you ever thought of that? Some of the most religious and spiritual people we know come up with all sorts of ideas about God and themselves and none of it ever came from the Holy Scriptures. None of it came from the Word of God. You can be a highly spiritual and religious person and still not know the Spirit of God. Also, because of misunderstanding, Jesus faced much opposition in His ministry. He faced opposition from every corner of His life and every part of Him was questioned. He faced accusations, and those accusations get worse and worse as we move through this text. Let us begin with the first. Jesus has now returned from the Sea of Galilee to Peter's house where he lived in Capernaum after he appointed his twelve apostles out of a crowd. And this crowd gathers again at his home, and the crowd was so large that Jesus and his apostles weren't even able to eat. So his family, that is his immediate family, made up of his mother and brothers, 
hear about the commotion that he was making, and, and they went out. Uh, this means they went, uh, they traveled from Nazareth to Capernaum. That is about 25 miles. And it takes about eight and a half hours of walking straight through. They traveled from Nazareth to Capernaum just in order to seize him. At this point, it's understandable. They, they are concerned about Jesus. He was probably overworked and tired. And he was also stirring up some trouble with Jewish religious leaders when he stood up and confronted them at various points. So they were questioning what he was doing. They were troubled with worldly doubts and worldly concerns. They were worried that he was going to bring upon himself unnecessary harm from the authorities that be. And also, they were worried that he would be an embarrassment to them. So they thought that there was something seriously wrong with Jesus. So they concluded, he is out of his mind. Sit on that for a second. This is coming from his own family. We know when our family thinks, thinks this way of us, it, it, it hurts deeply. It is a form of rejection that no one would want to experience because it means no one really takes you seriously anymore. They think you've lost it. So many of us try to avoid it and many of us stay silent in the face of lies. Now I've said before that it is a blessing to be, belong to a multi-generational Christian family, but every so often you'll have someone close to you, uh, someone whom you care about, could be family, it may not be, think this way about you. They'll probably say behind your back, he is out of his mind. He left his old lifestyle to follow some guy from the Middle East who lived 2,000 years ago. He goes to church on Sunday. He's married and settled down and left all that this world has to offer as if it's all that much. He is out of his mind. My advice is usually give it 10 to 20 years. They will not be saying that for very long. But what is more troubling about this text is not how it relates to us and how it happens to Christians every so often. What is troubling is that this assumption is raised against Jesus, who is the Son of God. And it is coming from his own family, who raised him or who grew up around him. Don't they know who he is? Don't they know what he has come to do? He is facing opposition and here the state of his mind is being questioned and whether or not he is all there. Now the force of the language is not that they just dismissed his ministry like, you know, don't worry about him, he's not all there. But the fact that they left Nazareth to travel to Capernaum which is 25 miles apart, an eight and a half hour walk, which is a full day's journey, in order to seize him, just proves that they refuse to accept or be associated with him and his work. His own family 
was embarrassed of what he was doing. His own family didn't want anything to do with him as long as he was on this ridiculous mission. That is a dangerous place to be. That is the place that most of the world is in. And his own family was in that place for a little while. His own family didn't understand salvation. They didn't understand what he was doing. Even after all they had witnessed and experienced. Now think of Mary. His mother. Who was part of this group. An angel came to her. And told her. Who he was to be. And what he was to do. And she conceived by the Holy Spirit and gave birth as a virgin. And she was part of this group that said, he is out of his mind. Think about that for a second. And the irony. Many of us can be familiar with Jesus and yet not understand. Or we can be Christians full of doubts about who He is and what He has come to do and what He has done for our salvation. But notice, secondly, the questioning, the accusations, and the misunderstanding continues, and now it gets worse. You have a new group of scribes who came from Jerusalem and were mixed in with this crowd. Uh, They probably got word that Jesus had confronted some of the other religious leaders, so they were sent And they were there with the sole purpose to try to damage the reputation of Jesus. It was like a political move that we see these days. They wanted to change how the people viewed him and accuse him of something far worse than just being out of his mind. Here it says they were speaking to the people around them, but they weren't speaking to Jesus directly. As they were saying, he is possessed by Beelzebub. Which is another name for Satan. And by the prince of demons who is Satan. He casts out demons. That is by far the worst charge against Jesus yet. Why that is the case we will see in a moment. So for now they lay this charge against him. First probably because he didn't care about their unbiblical traditions. And secondly... Because they couldn't deny his power, so they had to question the source of his power. They say that he is possessed and that his power to cast out demons comes from Satan. Now if you remember Jesus' baptism, that is where he is anointed with the Holy Spirit to do his work. But here... They are accusing him of teaming up with Satan, which means they are accusing him of taking part in false signs and wonders because that is all Satan does. Satan is a phony. He doesn't perform actual miracles. They are just used to mislead the people of God. But they were mistaken in their understanding because Satan couldn't do what Jesus was doing. And part of their misunderstanding is is that it was fueled by their own sin-hardened 
hearts. You could easily ask the question, who is really working on behalf of Satan here? So what we see here is a supernatural and spiritual struggle. Yes, there is this human struggle, this Jewish power struggle, but that is just the outworking of what is going on behind the scenes. There is a war going on between two opposing kingdoms, and the scribes dare to suggest that Jesus was on the other side of this war. But they were wrong. Every time Jesus would cast out a demon, he was uh, confronting Satan and slowly destroying his kingdom. This is why he corrects them. He corrects them in parables or figurative speech normally used to give the listeners some hints about themselves and hints about the one who is speaking. He asks, how can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand but is coming to an end. What he is saying is that since there is strength in unity, why would Satan fight against his own kingdom? Why would Satan divide up his own efforts which would defeat his purposes? He wouldn't seek to defeat his own. No one would do that. It would be like fighting against himself. We know firsthand today what disunity eventually leads to. It leads to destruction. And what makes this so insulting is that the scribes were confusing the spirit of God with the spirit of darkness. They were confusing God's work with Satan's work. They were confusing the kingdom of God with the kingdom of Satan. The two are as opposite as you can get. And understand this. Everyone on this planet belongs to one of these two kingdoms. Everyone in this building belongs to one of these two kingdoms. You are either part of God's kingdom through Jesus Christ alone, or you are part of Satan's kingdom. And these two kingdoms are opposed to each other. And they are both fighting for control over the world. Thankfully, we already know how it's going to end. He tells us how. He tells us how. And he refers to himself here. He says, but no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Similar to what we read earlier from Isaiah 49, 24 to 26. The tyrant, the strong man in the scripture is Satan. And as we sung in the mighty fortress, there is none like him on earth. 
He is the strong man. He is stronger than any human being. But there is someone stronger. There is someone stronger. And here, who plunders the strong man's house for his goods? The only one who can defeat Satan is God. Let's make that clear. The only one who can defeat Satan is God. The one who plunders his house is one who is mightier than Satan. This is exactly what Jesus was doing when he cast out demons. And every time he cast out demons, it was tied to the plan of salvation. Never once did he do a miracle or cast out a demon where it was disconnected to the whole plan of salvation. It was all connected to him saving the lost. His work was to overthrow Satan's kingdom and establish his kingdom. What kingdom is that? The kingdom of God. How? By entering Satan's house, which is this world. As Satan is called the God of this world by Paul and binding him. He binds Satan by unbinding his victims. He binds Satan by freeing the captives and giving them liberty. He binds Satan by saving the lost sheep. Notice all those whom he has freed from demon possession and sickness and illness so far have been restored to their former dignity. And ultimately... All who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ will be restored to their rightful owner who is God and restored to a new body. This is what Jesus has come to do. Those who have been taken from the clutches of Satan are his goods that have been plundered by God. Because all of us All of us at one point belonged to Satan. We all belong to him. He thought that he could keep us blind, but Jesus had the last say. This is why our confession of faith says that Christian liberty is found and that we are no longer bound to Satan, but now we are bound to Jesus Christ. Now we are in His hand and in His care and no one can snatch us out of His hand. And one day we will experience total liberty from Satan in Jesus' presence. Now, many Christians today believe that it is our duty to bind Satan and defeat his kingdom. No, that is not our duty. Paul says that the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. We don't do it. God crushes Satan under our feet. We are just a spoil. We are just his goods. God plunders Satan's goods. Who are the goods? We are the goods. And guess what? God in Jesus Christ is already victorious. He's already done the work. When he died on the cross to liberate his people from sin. 
And then when he was raised from the dead to liberate his people from death, he's already victorious, though not yet. That's a mystery, isn't it? Though not yet. Because he now sits at his right hand, at his father's right hand, and he guides us through this life till we finally attain victory and glory in his presence. But not yet. Until then, how does Jesus unbind his people today? Through the proclamation of his gospel. Through the proclamation of his gospel and sharing his gospel with the world around us. Through the preaching of the word in season and out of season. And proclaiming that Christ is stronger than the strong man. That Christ is victorious over sin, death, hell and Satan. So that sinners can place their faith in him and his work. And one day you will be victorious. All for the sake of Christ. So what Jesus is saying here to these Pharisees and scribes, those who are blaspheming him. He is saying, you got it wrong. You're confusing me with someone else. You got it wrong. Your theology is wrong. Your understanding is wrong. He was the original apologist. He was the original defender of the faith. Never be afraid to say to false teaching or false teachers, you got it wrong. With all gentleness and humility, but you got it wrong. You got it wrong. And there are consequences. There are consequences to false teaching. So thirdly, Jesus issues out a warning for believing blasphemous theology. Jesus now addresses the seriousness of getting his mission wrong. It is a serious thing to believe bad doctrine. It is a serious offense to call good evil and evil good in any sense, but especially when we speak about Jesus and what he has done and who exactly was at work in his ministry. So he says, truly, that is, amen. I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man. All sins will be forgiven the children of man. All of them. That includes lying, stealing, idolatry, adultery, and murder, which for some are considered mortal sins that... Once Christians commit, they cannot be forgiven. But here he says, all sins will be forgiven the children of man. This opens a nice discussion, especially for those who believe all murderers go to hell. Well, not if they turn to Christ, repent and believe. You can be a mass murderer and still be saved. Remember, salvation is by grace. You don't deserve Heaven more than the murderer. No one does. You can be the worst wretch on this planet. A psychopath. Once you repent and believe, you have gained entrance 
into the glories of heaven. No one is worthy to be forgiven. He even includes whatever blasphemies they utter. Now remember, blasphemy is a capital offense, meaning if you blaspheme God, you are taken out and killed. And Jesus said, if you blaspheme or slander a person who is made in the image of God, you are liable to hell. But here he says, even these sins will be forgiven except one. He says, but whatever blas- whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying, He has an unclean spirit. Now you're probably asking yourself, well, what is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? Now there's been much confusion over this question throughout church history. But remember what they're doing. They are questioning the source of Jesus' power in casting out demons and saying that it comes from Satan. But it was God who anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit, which would mean the source of his power is God. But they said it was Satan. They are confusing God with Satan. They are putting God and Satan on the same level. What this is, at the end of the day, is unbelief. It's unbelief. You see, blasphemy is the opposite of praise. It involves mocking, dishonoring, and that long list that we went through in our confession from the Larger Catechism 113. And at some point or another, we've all been guilty of blasphemy. Jesus even said that you can speak a word against the Son of Man. Just like his family did. They said he was out of his mind. And you can even crucify him. As they did. As evil men had done. And still be forgiven. That's why he says at the cross, Father forgive them. For they know not what they do. But you will not be forgiven if you reject the work of the Son as He is empowered by the Holy Spirit. If you say that it is not God that is at work in Jesus' ministry. The blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is rejecting the work that Jesus was doing and what He was accomplishing for sinners. In other words... It is unbelief. It is not believing the gospel. And this is an eternal sin. We will never have forgiveness because we are rejecting forgiveness in the gospel. Because these days we need to be clear about what the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is versus what it is not. Many uh, false teachers such as uh, faith healers who perform so-called miracles have trapped people in the, by using this text. They use this text 
to strike fear in the hearts of their followers. And that is part of the reason why they have so many to begin with. They teach that if anyone rejects or questions their miracles, let's emphasize their miracles, and their works of healing, and casting out demons, then they are blaspheming the Holy Spirit. That is an arrogant claim. And that is the wrong way to apply this text. Yes, we understand these gifts were given to the apostles, but remember, as we spoke of a few weeks ago, there are no more apostles today. First, and secondly, the miracle works, miraculous works that were given to the apostles were for the sole purpose of confirming what Jesus Christ has done in establishing His kingdom of salvation. It was about Jesus, not about the apostles. And now that we have the Word of God in its entirety, we no longer need these miraculous works to confirm anything. Remember, the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is about Jesus because everything the Holy Spirit does or did at that time and does in our lives is connected to Jesus and His work of salvation. Blaspheming the Holy Spirit is not about questioning someone who does things in the name of Jesus. It is about questioning Jesus and turning away from Him as He gives us His Spirit and works in us. It is about rejecting the work of the Spirit in us. Jesus clearly said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So unbelievers can cast out demons and do all these mighty works. So do not be afraid to question false teaching and false teachers because this is about Jesus. And if we willfully neglect what He has done on our behalf and harden our hearts to the truth of His work of salvation, then we may be guilty of this sin. Because it involves purposely turning away from Him and calling what He did evil. Today, we have many unbelievers who call what God does evil and unfair. And they are willfully rejecting His call to salvation. We see it every day on the news. Uh, Recently, there was a famous former evangelical, or the son of a famous former evangelical, who left the faith, who now calls Jesus evil. This is what Jesus is talking about. This is the unforgivable sin. I say all this because many of us have probably asked ourselves the question, have I blasphemed against the Holy Spirit? And if so, is it too late for me? When is the cutoff date? 
Well, we must consider some clarifications first. Before we judge whether or not we have, first, the proper way to apply this text to us is that it is a warning. It is a warning for those who have hardened themselves against Christ and His work. It is for those who have rejected Jesus Christ, His real identity, even after all that He has done. It is a warning for those who reject what Jesus Christ has done to defeat sin, death, and Satan. This is a warning for those who have rejected the only way of salvation through Jesus Christ. Because His entire work was empowered by the Holy Spirit. In theology, we say that both the Father, the Son, and the Spirit were at work in this Salvation. All three. And to deny that. And to deny that. And to deny the Spirit's work in it. Would be to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. And all of this was entirely about redeeming His people. He was confronting the enemy of our souls. And toppling His kingdom bit by bit. And He would complete the work on the cross. And rising from the dead. And he continues that work. Today. Every time he converts a sinner by his spirit. And gives him new life. And get this. His entire work in establishing his kingdom. Over against Satan's kingdom. Was about attaining forgiveness for you. And if you reject that work, you have no forgiveness. You have no forgiveness. You cannot enter the kingdom of God without forgiveness of sins. That is why it is an eternal sin. This is what it means to blaspheme the Holy Spirit today. So in other words, no true Christian has ever committed this sin. It is not for Christians who place their faith solely on Christ and His work. It is not for Christians who have a tender conscience. It is not for Christians who struggle with doubts, even his family doubted. Thomas would continue to doubt. Peter would continue to fall. And they would later follow him with great and exemplary faith. So it is not for Christians who struggle with doubts or have easy to resolve misunderstandings. It is for those who flat out reject the gospel and they don't care if they committed the sin or not. It wouldn't even cross their minds. They just dismiss it. So if you are a Christian and you are worried about whether or not you have blasphemed against the Spirit, this is not for you. If you are worried about it, it shows that you have not hardened yourself against Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit. And I would say, stay close to His Word. Trust His Word. And He will guide us by His Spirit and guard us from Satan's schemes. And another consideration is that the text does not rule out the possibility of repentance. 
If you have blasphemed the Spirit, you can still repent. You can still repent. This is about someone who is totally hardened and who dies in the state of rejecting Jesus Christ, his identity, what he has done, and the source of it. Because truthfully, many will die with many individual sins that we don't even know about and still be forgiven and still be washed by the blood of Jesus. But this sin is an eternal sin. It is the ultimate sin. It is rejecting the source of His work. And it can come in many subtle forms. It could come in the form of teaching that the source of His work was other than divine. Other than of the Holy Spirit. So one way it would manifest itself today is to say, well, Jesus was a good man, a good prophet, a good teacher, but He was just like any one of us. We can all be like Jesus. Just follow His principles. Forget all that salvation talk and the work he came to do on behalf of sinners. He is not a savior. He's a role model. That's blasphemy. That is blasphemy. It is deceptive because it is covered with positive things about Jesus. But if you die believing that lie, you will not be forgiven. So for us, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit would be resisting Jesus and His work in our lives. It's, It's to become cold and hardened against Him. I ask you today, do not resist Jesus and the work of His Spirit in you. Trust what He has Said about where he is from, what he has come to do, and where he has gone. Because this is for sinners such as you and me. And this is our only hope of salvation from the wrath of God that is coming. Amen.